Hey guys. Uh, so real quick, before we start this episode, there's a few things I want to let you guys know. Um, and I'll make this really quick because the video is long. So this is my first time doing an interview in probably a year. I think the last interview I did was with uh, Blood and Rain. My tech is a little out of whack. So if you notice that it's flipping between myself and Daniel, that's because I didn't anticipate Zoom switching between frames of our faces. Apparently, Zoom does that, where if you speak, your voice or your face pops up, and if they speak, their face pops up. I know other platforms do it, but I didn't know Zoom did. Uh, secondly, the audio is a little bit off, but I don't think you guys are going to mind too much, especially if you are a listener of the podcast. You're obviously not going to notice because you're not watching. Um, but let me know if you guys like this type of content. I want to do more interview slash discussion-based content. I think it's a lot more valuable. And uh, it's a lot more fun. And uh, I like collaborating with other content creators and knowledgeable people. So before we start this video, if you guys can leave me a subscription, a like, uh, rating on all the podcast platforms or whatever podcast platform you're listening on, I'd appreciate it. But nonetheless, guys, enjoy it. And don't forget to leave some feedback below. All right. All right, guys. Um, welcome back to the Backbuilders podcast. I haven't done one of these episodes in a really long time. And by the way, if you guys are looking at me in this camera and I'm looking down, it's because I'm syncing up two different uh, video platforms. So I'm recording you guys on the iPhone while looking down at my computer talking to Daniel. So um, you guys know that I've been talking about wanting to do more interview style, more conversational style podcasts. And that's for a couple of reasons. One, because there is a lot more value to be provided into discussion-based podcasts. And um, I've been kind of on a quest for a different type of knowledge and that knowledge is going to come from other people. Cause you know, for the last like year, I've been mostly just talking to myself and um, I want to kind of expand the podcast out a little bit with collaborating with other content creators. So with me here today, I have Daniel Frank, who I don't even remember how we met. Was it Twitter? Like a year and a half? Was it Twitter or Instagram? It was Twitter at first. And then to Instagram. Oh, really? That's when we really started yeah, so, Instagram. Yeah, it was true. That was a long time ago. That was like, what, a year and a half to two years ago? I think that was like two years ago. That was a long time ago. Yeah, so I met him on Twitter, apparently. I couldn't even remember, but met him on Twitter, um, saw that he was doing a lot of real estate stuff out of Boise. And you know what's funny is that you were actually one of the people who convinced me to move to Boise. I don't think you directly did it. You more like indirectly did because I saw yeah, you like yeah. posting pictures of Boise. You're in real estate. <clears throat> so you know, I just moved to the Boise area about what was it, like six or seven months ago. And uh, he was one of the people who indirectly convinced me to move here on top of obviously having a family member here. So um, Daniel, you've been in the real estate business for how many years now? Like eight, eight years. Yep. Eight years. Okay. Mm -hmm. What inspired you to get into the real estate industry? Um, I used to be broke and uh, I lived paycheck to paycheck. Most of, uh, not most of my life, but when I became 18, I came from a very broken family. And so I was kind of on my own at 17, technically, and yeah. uh, went 17 to like 21, 22, feeling really sorry for myself, very much like, oh, the government should do this for me. Oh, college should be free. A lot of like that uh, victim mindset uh, ideology. Yeah. And I was a wildland firefighter. And I had been doing that for about three or four years. And my squad boss at the time heard me complaining like that, right? And he said, you know, you sound a lot like me when I was 21, you know, a little bitch, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he said, you should read these books. And some of the books were Rich Dad, Poor Dad, The Richest Man in Babylon, mm. um, you know, some of the old classics. And I don't know why, because I hadn't read a book in years, 
but for some yeah. reason he convinced me. So got on Amazon, bought them. When I got off that fire, I got home. They were there. I consumed them in like a day or two. And it was kind of like a light bulb. Like, oh, okay, I get it now. I, I get how the basic fundamentals of a rich person and a, and a poor person. Yeah. Then the book talked a lot about real estate. So then I bought an, a real estate book, two books. So I kind of going down the investment track. And then thankfully my mother at the time was like, you keep talking about real estate. Uh, why don't you just become a realtor? And I had no clue what a realtor did. I, I just had no clue. She was like, it doesn't yeah. matter. Just go do it. You'll be good at it. And that was the end of it. So the next day I signed up for real estate school and just went on that journey and it, it worked out, I guess. Was it, it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the one that you're talking about? Yes. So that book, I don't know if you saw my Instagram, but I, it's so funny because we have almost the same path when it comes to um, real estate, obviously yours, yours stretches back a little bit, but I read that book and I did not want to read it for the longest time because it looked janky. I thought it was overhyped. You know, it was like the cover of like this old Japanese man and like these silly glasses and, he, and he's sitting there and the, the title yeah. is kind of like clickbaity, but I saw the reviews and it was like 25,000 five-star reviews. And I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta read this book. So I read it and a lot of it was talking about real estate and investing in properties. And that's when I knew that I was like, I have to find somebody to talk to about this because you can only read so many books about real estate before you actually have to talk to somebody. Right. Yep. But, um, the mindset is like, before we actually talk into talk about real estate and the market and stuff like that, is that that mindset is absolutely huge because I don't know about you, but I was never really taught about investing or about money or anything like that. So that first time I read that book, it was like, like you said, a light bulb. I was like, holy crap. Like I'm working way too hard for my money. Mm -hmm. um, what does he say? He says, don't work for money, work with money that he's like, that's what rich people do. They work with money. They make their money work for them. Mm -hmm. I've been working way too hard for my money and I was never really taught about money. My parents were never really taught about money. So I'm trying to break this cycle, but same thing. It's kind of like what your boss said is that, um, about your mindset is that I don't know about you, but I came from like a mindset of scarcity as if I had to really scrounge for cash around me. Like I was picking change off the top of a dryer. You know, that's how, that's my mindset towards money was just very poor. And I looked at all my friends who were in the real estate market, realtors and investors and they were all doing seemingly I don't know if it's just a facade but they all seem to be doing seemingly well and then one of my friends invincible way I don't know if you follow him on Instagram but he basically said that all money comes back to real estate all these rich people who make all this money in tech and stuff like that they always put it back into real estate so the market is always going to be there and I thought that was pretty fair but um so you got into real estate about eight years ago and um, you've been in ever since. And it seems like it's going pretty well for you. I'd imagine that if you're still in it, it's obviously going well, especially since the Boise market has been booming over the last several years. Yeah, yeah, it's been really good. It's, it's, it's fun. That's the thing about real estate is it's a lot of fun because you don't have to be stuck. Um, you know how like a normal W-2 job is like, okay, here's your task. Here's whatever. If you're a product manager or your customer service rep, like you, you're, you can't decide which way to go, right? Like your task yeah. assigned to you. Um, and this, and this isn't just real estate, right? This is any self-employed person or freelancer, but in real estate, you get to decide where you want to go. So I've done the flips. I've done the conventional, I've done new builds. Now I'm venturing into land for the last two years. And so, oh yeah, it's just fun. It's just a lot of fun. And so, um, the dropout rate for being a real estate agent, if you're thinking about getting into real estate as like an agent, it's pretty much a 95% failure rate because people see that facade and they think it's easy. Yeah. Um, reality, 
uh, people that get their licenses, the next two years when it's time to re renew, 95% of people don't. So it's a high. Is it, it's just because, well, okay. So being a realtor is all about selling yourself and obviously selling the houses. Is it just because, is it because the, it's just oversaturated with realtors? Like there's so much realtors and there's so much competition because that's what I've noticed is that there is a crap ton of realtors, but you know, after that two year mark, it seems like they kind of weed themselves out after a while. That's exactly what it is. So it's, it, I, I am very ashamed of my industry because it is very easy to become a realtor. Literally, this is all it takes, at least in Idaho. I can't speak for any other state, but in Idaho, you can do two weeks of school, literally um, 80 hours, pass a federal <laughs> test, pass a state test, and then pay like a thousand bucks to the Realtor Association. Boom, you're a realtor. Literally anybody. That's it. And it, it's about selling yourself. I don't sell houses. I, it, I sell myself based on how much knowledge I have, how trustworthy I am, which is the biggest thing. And then obviously there's other characteristics, but that's why a lot of people don't make it is because they see that facade of somebody being like, look, I'm a real estate agent. Yeah. I sold this house. I sold this house. The reality is that they probably didn't sell that house. They're using their brokerages listings and their brokerages buys and sells to give them status, which yeah. is legal, but it's, but it's not them doing it. They're just giving that facade. And that happens all the time on Instagram, uh, pretty much any social media, but you can only facade that so long before you have no money in your bank account. Yeah. You don't got a rich husband or a rich um, wife. You're screwed. You're going to drop out. Yeah. And that's been one of my, cause remember when I was first thinking about moving to Boise, I was thinking about becoming a realtor full time, mm -hmm. but I, I was also looking at like the closed out rates of realtors within their first two years. And I'd imagine that they're pretty low, right? What do you, depends what do you, on maybe who you're working. So I was like, so I don't really know how it works as a realtor, but you get paid based off of every time you sell a house, right? You get a certain percentage of it. Yeah, I get a commission. So I never, I always work for free until I either help somebody sell a house or buy a house. Other than that, I'm never getting paid. So you are only paid when you produce. That's the craziest yeah. part. That's why I said you have to have a high degree of trust and character because the incentive is, is to act dishonest because you get paid when it closes. And so a lot yeah. of people become unethical, uh, their they have low character and they'll lie to their clients and just to get to that end point where they can sell the house, it officially close, and then you get paid. And so the incentives are actually backwards in real estate, which is really unfortunate. And so, and that's why you'll see that like 70% of the nation hates realtors uh, yeah. of that factor. Yeah. Cause they'll pretty much do any, a lot of realtors, not all, but maybe a pretty good amount will pretty much do anything they can to get that deal closer. If they get that check. Yes, exactly. And so that's why you have a yeah. high character, high trust person that you can rely on when it comes to real estate. Yeah. That's why I kind of was, so that's why I was kind of more interested in becoming a realtor in the future is because I really like the idea of selling myself and giving somebody like a good product, which is that house that, you know, that they're buying or whatever. But, um, so I think one of the biggest hesitations that a lot of people have when it comes to getting in real estate is, you know, obviously it's not that hard to get started. It only takes, you know, a couple of weeks and stuff like that. But where do you go to become a real estate agent? Like, do you go, did you say a brokerage or how does that normally work? Because does any real estate agent go solo for like their first two years and like 
how does it work? Like, do you start cold calling people or do you start, <laughs> what do you do? So um, since we're on the topic of real estate agent, not investor yet. So the yeah. agent, um, you cannot practice real estate unless you are under a broker. So when you become an agent, that is all you are. You are a realtor. You are a real estate agent. You are not a broker. You can take steps to become a broker through classes, tests, and experience. Uh, um, so right away, right off the bat, you have to you have to go to a brokerage. You have to practice under somebody. Now, a lot of people get worried that, oh, I don't have the network as far as knowing a broker, knowing a lender, knowing a title person, knowing a home inspector. The, the reality is, is you don't need to because they all come to you because you're the change maker. You're as a realtor. I'm the guy to know because the client comes to me first. If it was the opposite and, it, and a client went to the lender or a title person, then we would all we would all go to them. But since I'm first in line with the client, they all come to me. So when I first became an agent, I had people swooning. They swoon over you. They take you to lunch. They take you to dinner. They'll buy you drinks. They'll invite you to concerts, title people. Right. So it's a really weird situation because you get, they're giving you the illusion that you're special, but you're not. Um, so all that will come after that, as far as getting business, it's just like any other businessman, however, whatever your skills are, that's where you need to go, right? So um, I'll, I'll give you an example. When I first became a realtor, I've always just been good with people. I've always, yeah. um, I've always kept in touch with a lot of people throughout my life at different jobs, school, college, all sorts of stuff. And so I already had a network. And so for me, it was really easy. Mm -hmm. I just started doing social media, started connecting with people that I've always connected with. And slowly but surely, I gained a clientele. As you gain clients and close, you'll start to get referrals. Now, the, the, the opposite example is I went to real, uh, I joined real estate right with this other gal who was just a shark. I mean, she had no problem cold calling. She had no problem calling for sale by owners, people who are selling their house without a real estate agent. She would call them and convince them. It was amazing to watch. I mean, I just like, whoa, I could never do that. She got like 10 listings right off the bat, just right out of the gate. So that was her skill set. And so just like in any business, you want to lean on those skills, whether it be marketing, whether it be your network, whether it be cold calling or door knocking or open house, whatever it is, you just kind of have to start and hope it starts cascading. Not hope, but you know, work to where it starts cascading to where deals and people trust you enough to come. Yeah. To you. I don't have to do that anymore. I can just be myself and deals come to me because people trust me. Yeah. And you've been in the business for so long now that word of mouth is probably one of your most valuable assets too. You don't have to go 100%. out and create ads on Instagram or, you know, posters and all that stuff. Like it all comes to you now at this point. Yep, I never do any of yeah. that. I never pay a for lot me. of people. Yeah. I think a lot of people, including myself at one point, I thought being a real estate agent was like easy money. But yeah. then I started talking to real estate agents and they're like, no, dude, you got to grind. You got to like, so, I mean, one of the hardest part I imagine for a lot of people is like the networking and the communicating and, and, um, you know, kind of being an extrovert in a lot of ways, which mm -hmm. some people struggle with. But um, so that those questions were kind of for me, to be honest, because I'm in the Boise area now. I've been interested in real estate. Um, but for the audience, um, I think a lot of people are going to be asking, where's the money in investing in properties and what type of if if I were to approach real estate 
um, as a new investor, where do you think the best investments could or will be or should be? Where are people making their money right now? And I guess, where do they start? You can formulate this question any way you want. But I think what a lot of people are going to come to this podcast for is uh, how to start making money in real estate. Okay. Um, it's, I, I'm going to lean on this a lot during this whole thing because it's, it's kind of like a fundamental belief system that I have is that you always have to go and evaluate your self-awareness, your self-knowledge, and your skills. Because if I were to tell you, um, or if I were to tell somebody, hey, the money is in flipping, go flip houses. But if you don't know how to work tools and wood and paint, that's a stupid yeah. idea. And I could <laughs> yeah. tell that same exact, or I could tell somebody the same exact thing to somebody else who has those skills, who grew up building stuff dude, you should go flip houses and it would be the best investment that he could possibly mm -hmm. do. So there has to be some introspection that takes place. Um, are you somebody who you can literally make money in real estate in so many ways? It's, it's literally unbelievable. Do you, yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing that I actually could not believe when I first started. Do you know what a real estate wholesaler is? No. Okay. This is a real estate wholesaler. They're not an agent. But they go out everywhere. They, they do postcards. They cold call. They'll go door knock a neighborhood. And they will find people who want to sell their house but are too lazy to list their house. So they'll say, well, how much do you want for your house? And they'll say, uh, I want $300,000. they will go and find an investor. And they'll say, hey, I got a deal. It's off market. And it'll be three twenty-five. dollars So they sell uh, that $300,000. And they make a $25,000 finder's fee. That seems yeah. impossible. It happens all the time, everywhere. Really? So who's that person? That person would be somebody who's not afraid to cold approach or has a vast network of, um, um, not even a vast network because people with vast networks are listing their houses, but people who aren't scared to approach people, right? Yeah. So the money is made in however you find out your self-knowledge and your demeanor, honestly, because- um, I could tell somebody again that you should just find a house, buy it, rent it out, and mm -hmm. just cash flow it for 20 years. But if that person that I just told that advice to is too scared to evict somebody or too nice to raise the rent when market rents go up, then you're yeah. not going to make it. You're going to do horrible. So- mm. The, the, the foundation is find out your self-knowledge, look deep introspectively, know your skills. And then once you have a firm foundation of that, um, you'll want to go find the education that fits that, you know, somebody's documented it somewhere, right? How to have a good flipping, yeah. how to buy and hold long-term, how to have cash flowing uh, assets. So go find that education once you found those skills and self-knowledge. And then after that, you have to decide which market to go to, because just because your skills uh, and your knowledge are like on point, like you get it, you know what you're good at and what you want to do. It doesn't mean that the market you're in has that. So for example, mm. the last four years in Boise, if somebody were to come to me and say, hey, I'm looking for a cash flowing house. I want to be able to buy a house for low money down, just a regular single family home. And um, I want to cash flow 600 bucks right off the bat. 
a month, I'd laugh in their face. That's not possible. Okay. It's just not. Now you could do that same strategy in the Midwest in parts of Indiana or Oklahoma. I know Oklahoma is not the Midwest, but you get my point. There's other states where you could cash flow almost immediately with a you know, a 20% down payment or a 30% down payment. But even in the Boise metro area, you could put down 30% and barely cash flow maybe 100 or 200 bucks. So that's it. That's it, man. Yeah, because the prices are too high. They're 400, 500,000. And especially with interest rates going up, you're not going to close on a house and start cash flowing immediately. Now, if you have a long-term 40-year strategy, it will eventually... But that's a long time to get your money back time for you to make like enough to have make a difference in your life. So I know it's not like it's not an expedient answer. It's not an answer of like, oh, wow, Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, now I have the plan. But it's one of those things where the self-knowledge is just critical, you know, knowing how you are, how you operate mentally. Yeah. it's why I don't give most people financial advice. You know, I could tell all my friends because I believe in Bitcoin. Oh, go buy Bitcoin. It's the best investment in the world. But if it drops 50% and they don't have the mental fortitude to hold it Ooh. and they sell, they're coming back yeah. to you and saying, well, I thought you said it was a good investment. And I could say, well, why did you sell? It's because I didn't know yeah. that their mental fortitude was low. So uh, I see. You got to know yourself, you got to know your skills, and then you got to know which market to go to. So I hope that kind of answers. No, no, actually, that's perfect. Because a lot of people, including myself, like when I first started looking at this, my question was, where's the money at? Where's the money? at? And I started picking up a few books. And I picked up this book about um, rental properties. And I was looking at the numbers. It was by like Brandon Turner or Tucker. I can't remember his name or something. And he was talking about, he's like, well, if a house is $100,000 and you put 20% down, and in my head, I'm thinking $100,000. Like, when is this book <laughs> written? Like, no house is, uh, I, at least not in our area, $100,000. You know, not I mean, everything around here is three, four hundred thousand. Super expensive now. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was like looking at rental properties. But then I started like crunching the numbers and I'm like, is rental properties even worth it? And it's like, if you're pulling a hundred to $2, $200, that's nothing. That's like nothing. And then aren't you going into like a pretty large amount of debt for like what? A hundred to $200 a month? Like, how is that worth it? I don't understand how that's worth one, it. One broken water heater, which isn't even the cost of a furnace would wipe out your whole year's cash flow. Oh my God. That yeah. is bad. That's insane. So that's what I'm saying. You have to know your knowledge. You have to know your skills. And then you have to go find the right market. And the truth is, is that the, the, the things that you want probably aren't in the market you live in. And that's why it's yeah. kind of difficult yeah. sometimes. Because if I wanted to have cash flowing properties, like let's say I want to be the real estate investor because cash flow yeah. is what matters, right? Cash flow can enhance your lifestyle now. You don't have to worry, wait until retirement. Sure, you could take that cash flow, invest more and more and more. But theoretically, if you have 10 rental units, 10 single family homes, and they're each paying you $500 a month, that's five grand. That, that's, that's multiple vacations. Yeah, that's pretty good. It, 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 it increases your lifestyle immediately. But I can't do that here. But I have a family now and I have homes here in Boise and land in Boise or around this area that even though I want that, I'm not going to move to Cleveland to get it. 
Sorry, it's just not me. But if you're young, if you're 21, 23, 24, I wouldn't see why you wouldn't go to some market where the average house price is 180 or 240,000. They still exist. Um, find yeah. a partner and get to work. Um, but it, it's all about it's all about that knowledge. It's all about the skills. It's all about who you know, too. Let's face it. You've got to know some yeah. people around you to make things work. Because if you don't have the money, well, then you got to find somebody who does have the money. And that's a partnership. So yeah, don't be afraid to move to a market if if you really are in it to to find out where, quote, you know, that money is. Yeah. Are you seeing any um, booming markets right now that some people should look at? Because I'm looking at after I finished flight school, looking at Kentucky and Tennessee, some parts of Tennessee are too expensive, but then other parts seem pretty fair still, like $250,000 homes, mm -hmm. 300000 Is there any markets that you see have a lot of potential in it, or is it? Honestly, I, I won't say that I know a lot about other markets because I just focus on my market that I live in. Yeah. But I will say that it always seems like the Midwest is always okay. a place to invest as far as cash flows go. It usually is uh, a little bit decently better priced house and the rents aren't you know crazy like they are here in Boise, yeah. but the rents are solid. So anywhere okay. in the Midwest is good or you could always do this. You could find out where big manufacturing is taking place or uh, not even manufacturing, just big companies where they're investing, for example, uh, Facebook just bought uh, like a hundred acres in Cuna, which is a neighboring I town. Saw that. They're going to build a huge um, server database. And so if you can find anywhere that that's happening for, it doesn't have to be Facebook. It can be anything, you know, Google, uh, Snap, mm. whatever it is, um, where they're building anywhere in maybe like a not sexy state. Um, that would be a route to go as well. Because if they're building that infrastructure, because people don't understand, when you build that big of infrastructure, you have to build out plumbing, electricity, and it's going to make houses a lot uh, cheaper to build because you'll build subdivisions around those. And because the, yeah. the is already there now. So is um, you looking at CUNA, do you see any potential here in investing in properties now that Facebook is building that big old building here or is it still too expensive because it's Idaho? Nope, because it's too expensive already. People were Damn, already that's tough. Yeah, people are already coming to Idaho. Um, Idaho, Florida, uh, Wyoming, yeah. they're all, Montana are all being flooded with out-of-state people, right? And so- It's mostly coming from California too. Yeah, California, Seattle, Portland, these places. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's going to be times where it doesn't make sense, even even with what I just told you. If you find out, it doesn't mean that it's going to be a shoe and you've got to do your research. Okay. All right. So rental properties, at least for me, is almost out of the question in Boise because I don't want to go into debt for a hundred to two hundred dollars a month right now in Boise, unless long term, theoretically, you could sell that rental property for more cash. You sit on that egg for a while, I guess. Um, did you say you were doing flipping at all or no? I don't do flipping. I am not a handy okay. person at all. My wife uh, was an architect and it's been her dream to do a flip eventually. I, I don't know yeah. if that will happen anytime soon because again, the Boise metro area, there's flippers all over the place, yeah. but I could see us going to an auction one day and finding a dilapidated house and, and, and 
doing a flip because she wants to. Obviously, I wouldn't yeah. do that. There was money to be made. But um, to answer your question, as far as like what you said about um, for you wanting to buy a rental, it, it would only make sense if you were going to legitimately keep it for 30 years. Because that's a different type of investing, right? That's appreciation investing. And that's what I that's why I said if an investor came to me and wanted cash flow in this market, um, who's the premium? What? Okay, apparently we have guys, uh apparently Zoom is no longer free. You that's have to uh what we'll do is shit. We're in kind of a pickle here. We got we're only 30 minutes in. Damn, it's just starting to get too. Um, what we'll do is maybe we could just redo, we could just maybe do another video call and then I'll just edit them together. But I got a 10 minute warning guys on the zoom call. I didn't even know this was a thing. I don't, like I said, I don't do interviews anymore. So this is new to me, but we have 10 minutes left on this. You guys might see a cut and then we'll continue in the next session section. If not, we'll figure it out on another platform. But, um, so sorry, go ahead and continue what you're saying. We'll figure that out. What I was going to say was, is if, if that investor came to me in in the Boise Metro area and said, Hey, I want to cash flow five, 600 bucks a month you know, and I, I only want to put down 5%, I'd laugh in their face. But if mm. they were like, hey, uh, I want to buy two or three family, <laughs> two or three homes to hold for the next 40 years to pass down to my kids, I'd mm. say you're the greatest investor of all time, right? Because I, I believe in the long-term foundation of real estate. I believe in the long-term value of this city. Um, and so yeah. that's what I'm saying. Context matters what your your not only do your skills and self-knowledge matter and the location but your time frame matters too so Mm -hmm. all of these make up what decisions you should make in real estate and the reason i'm I'm, i keep coming back to this is because of what you said of when you when people first get into it they think the money's easy they just yeah it's like this it's kind of like um it's it's one of those industries that a lot of scammers can can come to like you know like moths to a flame and be like yeah. oh look how easy it is and they like post pictures of fake checks you know like look oh i just made yes. seven thousand dollars that shit's fake dude that, that i see that all the time it's so ridiculous um and it's sad but that's why i keep coming down to these foundational principles like you can make money in real estate you really can't you can make it in almost any market at any time, but all of these things I'm talking about have to be aligned for it to happen. It's not just like, oh, I'm here, baby. Let Where's the money? He's got the money. He's it, No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works yeah. in part of life. Yeah, that's how a lot of people make it look. I don't, I haven't seen it too much lately, but they'll, they'll have a picture of a big check or whatever. And then conveniently, after they have all these big checks, they're like selling eBooks and stuff like that. And then I'm just yeah. like, for a lot of people, it looks like a sketchy industry to get into because a lot of scammers have made it look like it's just easy money. And then a lot of people go into it and they're like, this is hard, dude. Like the market's changed so much and all that stuff. Um, so appreciation. Um, one of the things that I'm having a hard time understanding with appreciation is that appreciation by definition in real estate is the factor idea that your house will increase in value over time, right? Yes. Whenever but, somebody says appreciation, they just mean over time, the value. I bought it for 250000 Hopefully in 20 years, it'll be worth 450000 uh, Okay, so hopefully. Hopefully. Nothing yeah. is nothing in this world is a guarantee. And that's what I've learned the last two years, especially the last two years, right? 
um, that nothing's a guarantee, not even the ability to leave my house without being yelled at, right? What a crazy idea. Um, So yeah, especially when people are saying like, your gains are guaranteed or like housing goes up forever. I just, I disagree. There's just no way to possibly. Yeah, people say that. People say that all the time. People also say that um, real estate is the best investment you could ever make. I call total bullshit on that. Um, The best investment uh, you could ever make is obviously in yourself, but there's tons of people who have made way more money building businesses than, than buying real estate. And it's not a guarantee that houses will be this hard to build in the future. Like what if there's a future where you can straight up just 3D print a house in one day and then you could have Mm -hmm. two contractors put all the electricity and plumbing and boom, you have a house. Like that future could take place and that would plummet prices uh, by by who knows how much. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I always think of these downsides. You know, you can't sit here and Mm -hmm. assume, oh, housing is going to go up forever. That's you don't know what the future holds. That's impossible to know. Yeah. I like that you're saying that because there's uh, a few people I follow on Instagram um, and maybe they would admit this if I talked to them, but a, a lot of these guys make it look like it's sunshine and rainbows in the, in the, you know, real estate business. And then I'm like, I'm starting to get into crypto now. Right. And I'm learning about investing in Ethereum and Bitcoin. And I'm starting to see a lot of similarities between, you know, crypto investing and the real estate market it has its ups, it has its downs. It's, it's always uncertain, but mm-hmm. a lot of people in the real estate biz, they make it look like they're, it's always going to be there. The, the money's always going to be there and they make it look like I said, really easy. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because you know, that technology that you're talking about 3d printing houses that I've seen that technology literally developing. They're literally 3d printing small houses. You know, it's, yeah. no, it's, I, it's I not there I've, yet. I've seen houses that are 2000 square feet. Um, and the thing is, is it's not if the technology works, it's if the technology can scale. And mm-hmm. that's, that's a really an impossible question because of how hard, like, we don't know what materials they'll dig out of the ground, what supply chains will look like, what labor looks like, like, that's all unknown. Yeah. The technology's there. It's just a matter of that technology can scale. And let's say it did scale. Let's say it could scale really easy. Well, then housing, as far as an appreciation factor goes, that's going to change everything. And that's scary. Yeah. Um, and that's why I would say, you know, you, you don't invest for appreciation. You invest for either cash Thank flow you. or yes. you invest for um, a quick in and out. Like a flip would be a, good, a, a quick in yeah, and yeah. out. I got the house. I, I make it a beautiful house. I offload it within six months. Boom. I made $60,000 in cash, right? I think those are the only two factors that you should be thinking about. Um, it doesn't mean I, it's not that I'm saying you shouldn't buy a house and hold it for 30 years. That's fine. Yeah. Just know the risk that that doesn't mean it's going to be worth more in the future. There is no way to know. Yeah. And so it'd be better to buy a house with a large down payment, have it cash flow, hope over the next 30 years your cash flow becomes greater and greater and greater while the appreciation goes up at the same time. That would be the goal, yeah. but you can't know it. And you're taking into account where you bought that house, the future of that market in that area. Like you're not just buying a random house because you're like, it'll appreciate it's a house, right? It's like, no, there's other factors. There's hundreds of factors. I, we actually, me and my wife just sold one of our rentals because of things that were happening in the neighborhood. When we bought mm-hmm. the house initially, it was pretty good. We only held it for three years. 
but there was, and I can't go into why, but there were certain things in the neighborhood that I was seeing that made me very scared. And so we sold yeah. and we thought we were going to hold this thing for 30 years, but mm. the neighborhood's going South in multiple different ways. So I'm getting out because I'm not going to risk it. Oh, that is a, sh- I've seen that happen in California time and time again, where you have a decently good neighborhood. Like my aunt lived in this nice neighborhood for like 20, 30 years. I go back and visit years later and it's just like not a good neighborhood anymore. People are out of there like crazy. You know, the value of the local market goes down and it, yep. that's absolutely insane. So um, we got up a minute and 53 seconds. So what we're going to do guys is you guys, you guys are going to see a cut. We're going to end this. And then um, I think what I want to talk to you about more for the second half is more ways to make money. I like that we talked about appreciation, um, flipping. I was actually interested in getting into flipping, but I just don't have the handiwork to do flipping. Yep. Um, but we could talk about land a little bit mm-hmm. um, and anything else that you want to give the audience. And then maybe we could talk about your idea about sovereignty a little bit and where you see land ownership in the future, energy. If you want to talk about that, I don't know if you want to save that yeah. for your potential podcast in the future. Yeah, But that's interesting me because like I said in our voice messages, the last two years has really put an eye on land ownership and sovereignty and real estate in a lot of ways because, you know, we want to own land, we want to own our property. But um, let's go ahead and end this now and then I'll trim this back together. All right, guys, we're back for part two. Um, Yeah, like I said, we had to recontinue this because Zoom cut us off. I am not paying however much it costs to upgrade soon because I'm cheap. Um, all right. So we just talked about, uh, what do we just talk about? Let's recap. So we talked about appreciation. I liked how you mentioned that appreciation is not a guarantee for income in the future. You're basically making a calculated gamble, right? I would say calculated so. risk. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's a calculated risk. We talked about uh, different ways to make other, diff- other ways to make money through real estate, which is flipping. And he mentioned that if you have the skills to flip, then flipping is viable for income, right? 100%. It's a lot more logistics. You know, it's a lot more logistics um, as far as, you know, getting the the money to to buy it, buying it, having uh, the supplies to flip it, and then selling immediately. So, I mean, it is a little bit more, obviously it's more work, um, but I've seen people do successful flips. Keyword, I've seen people do successful flips that where they only netted $10,000 and it was a lot of work. And then I've also seen people flip where it was almost no work and they netted $80,000. So you just have to take, um, you just need to know what you're doing and, and know you're taking a calculated yeah. risk as well with that. So the, the flipping, when you invest into, so you buy a home and then you, everything that you're putting in there that you are you know, new toilets, ceiling repairs, that's all out of your pocket, right? It can be. You can find people in real estate to be your money. So, uh, you know, as much as I don't like to bring uh, uh, Grant Cardone up because he's kind of corny, but sometimes he does hit the nail on the head where he says, if you don't have the money, go find somebody else's money. Um, Now, that's a lot harder said than done, but the, the money could be your parent. You can go to them or maybe a wealthy friend that you know and say, hey, look, I'm going to guarantee you uh, 12% on your money. You know, And then it puts the onus on you to make sure that you have your yeah. supplies, how much they cost. Um, and then when, they, when you sell the house, you're paying your investor out right off the top. Mm-hmm. So they're being paid first and then you get whatever's left. 
And so there's yeah. ways to manipulate all this stuff. I don't even want to use the word manipulate. There's there's ways to make almost any deal work. Um, it's just about yeah. knowing it, knowing uh, what resources are available to you, knowing the people, things like that. I would say that yeah. knowing people is just as important as knowing yourself. Uh, because if I buy a house and um, it needs, um, let's uh, let's say a new um, furnace, I do not know how to do a furnace. I know how to paint. Mm -hmm. I know how to do basic wood stuff. I know how to ba do basic flooring, but I don't know how to replace a furnace. But yeah, it goes even further because if you don't know a good, reliable furnace person, uh, you could hire somebody and they could drastically overcharge you. They could uh, mm. not install it correctly. It happens all the time. So knowing your good people, building out a network is just as important if you're going to do the flipping. Yeah, just f flipping kind of, because what I'm thinking about doing is uh, my father-in-law, he is a handyman. Like he's literally built houses by himself. I don't know how he does it. This guy's like 62 years old, built houses by himself. Um, and I'm thinking about one of my options being finding a house that can be renovated and flipping it with my father-in-law working on it for six months. But then the problem is, is that the money that's used on the toilets, the furnace and stuff like that, you know, that's one of the hardest things to get because either you use your money or someone else's. Mm -hmm. um, but is flipping kind of a little bit, would you say maybe too risky for the first time investor, somebody who's looking to make money for the first time? Yeah, I would, I would probably say yeah. that. Unless you have some sort of mentor, um, you'd be surprised how many people have done flips, you know, that are older, that are like, oh yeah, I flipped like six homes in the nineties. Well, that, that's yeah. a person you should be talking to then. That's a person you should take out mm -hmm. to lunch and be like, hey, have you ever thought about doing it again? Um, yeah. Because if you haven't- Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, 100%. Wine and dine people, man. Like you're there, you yeah. know, uh, they want to make money. You want to make money. Start talking to people. Um, and yeah. I like yeah, the idea uh, that you said, like- it, if you're a first-time investor, doing a big flip is probably out of your scope. And that's what I mean. Yeah. Go find somebody who's done it. Go some find somebody who's interested in doing it too that's done it before. Yeah. The other part of the burden that they don't want to deal with. Yeah, because a lot of this is what I'm starting to learn more about wealth and wealthy people is that they like to make money. So if you can sell them on the idea that, hey, you might make money off this, you might not. Wealthy people understand risk for the most yeah. part, I'd imagine, right? 100%. And you, you sell them the idea that you're like, hey, this is what I'm planning on doing. I need this from you. And this is what you'll get in return. If you can just talk to people and you can be honest with them and be like, hey, this might work. This might not work. That's a really good place to start because I had a really bad mindset. And I've talked about this to my podcast listeners where I was like lone wolf. I was like, I'm going to do everything by myself. And then like, a few months into a new project, I was sucking wind. I was like, I need help. So if yeah. I were to go into real estate, one of the first things what I, I would do is I would start making those connections like real quick. Yeah. Um, also, one more thing too, is that with the flipping, the the Netflix shows and the YouTube channels with like these, it kind of like romanticized flipping and made it look yes. really easy. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking about flipping. I was like, oh, flipping looks fun. Yep. And they don't show you that there's like 15 contractors working on that house. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, there's no way. It's impossible. It takes until you've built something like truly, unless you've built something, you have no idea how hard it is to build because yeah. um, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty straightforward until me and my wife redid our master uh, kitchen. And I, when I say it, we redid it, we pulled everything out. It was just a box and we did the floor. We did the cabinets. We did the plumbing. We did everything. 
and it was a nightmare. Uh, it yeah, worked, worked out in the end, but I had no clue the amount of work and expertise it takes to build things. So do not yeah. underestimate that. Uh, th those shows are completely glamorized. They don't show you that there's 20 contractors yeah. in the background. They, they just zoom in on the two people that are doing the flipping. They're like, look at all like nails. Yeah, they're doing the most basic look job. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? I was like, there's no way that these people are doing them doing this by themselves. But um, so for uh, flipping, okay, we understand flipping now. We understand there's risk involved in that. Uh, we understand appreciation a little bit better. We understand that renting could be good in certain regions, depending on your market. Um, what are a few more ways to make money out of this business? If you could think of any. Um, um, the really only thing, uh, actually, let me say one more thing before we switch topics. Yeah. If you are going to build out a network, if you're going to start taking people to coffee and lunch and trying to figure out how you can help them and they can help you, do not go in with the mindset that this is just like a short-term thing. When I build relationships, I'm building them forever. Okay, so yeah. don't, don't be that scammer that you hate. Don't sit there mm. and go, oh yeah, I just need you for this one thing. That's the worst thing you could ever do. Go in it with truly building a relationship. I want to get to know this person. Yeah, uh, yeah. Know what they're good at, what they're not good at. What can I help them with? That's what you need to lead with. What can I help you with? And then people like to help people that are helping them. That's just the facts. So go in with each relationship. And look, not every relationship is going to be a match, you know, as far as like jiving or what you guys could be the same exact person with the same exact skills. And that's not going to be very helpful. So some things aren't yeah. going to work out, but go in building relationships and, and knowing like, hey, I want to know you for the next 30 years because that's who I want to do business with. I don't want a one and done, you know, something simple like mm -hmm. I had all my, I, I live in a very, my house that I live in has like 15 trees around it. I finally found a tree guy that helps me with the trees. And now he's my guy. He earned my trust. Yeah. If I ever need a tree guy, or if any of my friends ever need a tree guy, he's my guy. And so, mm. and I can look good giving out a referral going, Hey man, I got a guy. He shows up on time. He's a fair price and he knows his stuff. And that helps build other relationships too, because then your people are showing up, providing great service and, and just strengthening their trust in you. So that, that's all I wanted to say yeah. about the networking. Um, well, that's actually a good point because if you go into this with like, you know, like let's say you were to meet someone, you could just sniff out that they're just looking for a one and done. They're just like, they're looking for that deal. Like, oh, if I buy this guy coffee, then maybe he'll do this for me. And a lot of people are going to sniff that out. And also another thing I was thinking too is like reputation is probably really important in your local markets because if people start to talk about you being scammy or you being shitty in that network or in that community or in that market, you're done. Like you're not, you're not going to survive there. You're done. Reputation is everything, man. It's, it's everything. Yeah. So um, switching to what you said about ways of making money, honestly, I can't think of anything as far as, as real estate goes, uh, but I can think of, of things with land. So if we want to switch yeah, let's to talk about that land yeah. topic, um, there are ways to make money. It's more of a long-term play and it's very situational. So for example, I bought, uh, me and my wife bought 27 acres in a small town. I don't really want to say where we, uh, yeah. out in a small town. It is already providing us opportunities that we had no idea. We bought it because we want to build our home and we want to be kind of off the grid, not, yeah. not 
not necessarily like mountain people that don't talk to anybody, just more like, I don't want to yeah. live in a big city anymore. I want to live in a small, mm -hmm. close knit community. Um, well, I was talking to a gentleman who uh, was looking for some real estate and I was, you know, or some land. And I said, Hey, what, what are you looking for? Because I'm looking for rocks. It's like, what, what do you mean rocks? It's like, I'm looking for rocks. Like I'm looking for gravel. I'm looking for uh, stone. Oh, cell. Whoa. Huh. Okay. I was like, well, I got a lot of rocks on my land. He goes, how much land you got? And I was like, oh, I got 27 acres. He goes, can I come look at it? I will buy your rock from you. And so, what? yeah, because yeah. land has actual uses, right? And so this is where it, does, it, it, it gets away from like the appreciation argument or, because it's not a mass media product. It's not a mass, you know, there, there's, you know how they say the, the, the riches are in the niches. Have you heard that the riches are in the no, niche. If you're going for the mass, it's our there's there's no money in the mass. Um, and so there are lots of scenarios where land can provide you invest it, it, it can invite you, it can make um money in ways you never thought possible. Okay, so for example, that rock thing. Now I have him looking, and he's yeah, I'm gonna he's gonna make me an offer on all the rocks I have on my land. What a weird idea. But it's because it's actual physical goods. Now you're getting into commodities, right? And so mm. other ways that it can provide value is long-term bill reduction, right? Every day, every month, I pay for water at my place in the city. Well, if you have a well, you don't have to pay for water. Every day yeah. I pay for energy right? My electricity. If I have solar and it's paid off, that I have no electricity bill. If I have a septic yeah. tank, I have no sewer bill. So you get more into wealth preservation instead of the idea of cash flow, but land can have cash flow too. You can have agriculture. You can lease your land out for a farmer next door that has cows. Or oh, I've heard, about, I've heard about people doing that. Yes, 100%. And so you could even buy land and, and build a house or not even build a house. And sure, the gains aren't going to be monstrous. You're not going to have what you see in real estate where houses appreciate 150000 in two years. Yeah. Um, but you can find so many crazy investments. I'll give you one, another example. I know uh, a gentleman who owns 100 acres. And guess what he does with it? He leases it out to beekeepers. He doesn't do anything. Oh, that's smart. And he leases it out to a big beekeeper who has tons of, I guess, what would you call them? Hives. Um, yeah. Those chests. And he has them all mm. over his land and he just pays him uh, a percentage of the beekeepers cash flow. So, wow. That is smart. Yeah. So land is a different ball game. It's starting for me. It's starting to seem more appealing because I think mm. that we're going to have um, a material shortage, energy shortage. I think these things are yes. coming and um, it's impossible to predict how bad they'll be. Some people you listen to, oh, it's, it's going to be doomsday. And then other people are like, no, it'll be bad for probably two or three years. Who knows what the truth is? But I think yeah. there's value in having land that actually produces real things. And the last point I'll make as far as like the, uh, of this opening is that um, you when you own land, you don't have to worry about HOAs. You don't have to worry about city guidelines. It doesn't mean it can be the wild, wild west and you can do anything. It's not that, but you have the capabilities of doing a lot more uh, of what you want. Yeah, almost honestly, to me, land is almost more exciting 
a more exciting prospect to me because for a couple of reasons, one, I didn't even think about like just some examples, like the beekeeping that you're talking about selling, uh, what was it like granite or some type of stone on your property? Mm -hmm. I'm leasing it out to farmers. That is, there's always ways to make money off land. That's why land is so valuable in a lot of ways, but people are starting to realize that people who own land, because a lot of people are getting to that point where they don't trust big cities anymore. They, they feel like living off grid is a healthier lifestyle, which let's be honest, in a lot of ways it, it is, especially if you do it correctly. So land is almost more exciting to me than investing in houses and stuff like that. My biggest concern about investing in land was making money off of it. But like what you said, if you view it as kind of like wealth preservation, you know, getting to solar uh, well and, uh, you know, maybe providing yourself your own food and stuff like that, it, don't, it pays almost more in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but land seems to be extremely expensive, at least here, to point to where a lot of people can't even afford acreage. Yeah, and I think that's going to change. And I think it's going to change. Um, keyword, I think. I have no clue. If yeah. it, I don't know what the future holds. I don't have a crystal ball. But if I had to guess, I would assume that lands are going to become cheaper. And here's why. I've been doing land for about two years now, and I've noticed a trend. And the trend is very simple. Uh, it's usually a gentleman who's 75, 80 years old. It's a, somebody who owns 300 acres, 500 acres, 2,000 acres, and yeah. I have conversations with these guys, and they tell me the exact thing every time, and it's, hey, I'm getting really old, and I don't know what to do because my family doesn't want this land, yes. and yes. This, this is a new phenomenon. This is completely yeah. new because that's not how it's ever operated before. How it always operated yeah. is, is land gets passed down to your heirs and the heirs always want it because land is a form of wealth. But for whatever reason, I think because people are becoming inherently lazy, but also in, overwhelmed with a lot of different things in life because yeah. people have control over their life. The idea of getting 30 acres, they just don't want, they just don't want to deal with it. They don't want it. They don't, yeah, want, they don't it. want it. And I just met somebody the other day who talked about this exact thing. His family used to own 3,000 acres, and now all he owns is 500 acres, and his family doesn't want it. So I think there might be an uptick of, of land that comes on the market over the next few years, you know, three years, five years, 10 years. Yeah. And I think there will be an opportunity uh, for people to jump in because- if a farmer or somebody who's a big landowner is smart, what they're going to do is they're not going to sell a thousand acres as a whole. They're going to subdivide it into 30 acres and 70 acres and 100 acres and start yeah. selling them off because they'll make way more money for their family, which is where they're going to pass it down to. And so there will, I think, be opportunities for land to become because if there's more supply coming on the, the market, then the prices will stabilize or, the, or they might even come yeah. down a little bit, but you got to have a long enough time. Yeah. And let's face it, in other parts of the country, land is super, super affordable. Uh, there are places, mm. again, in the Midwest, in Texas, in um, Arizona, where well, maybe not Arizona, actually, but um, certain places in the country where land is super affordable. It's just a matter if you want to move yeah. So that phenomenon that you're talking about, about people not wanting to, um, about people not wanting to um, keep their land, they don't want to pass it down. <clears throat> I just talked to a guy on Instagram 
and oh my god you cannot see me at all can you? yeah you're very dark <laughs> i don't even look white anymore <laughs> whatever i'll deal with it but um so anyways and a personal anecdote somebody on instagram messaged me and he said hey my family has 80 acres but nobody wants it he's like i'm alone on this property he's like i can't manage it by myself and he's like if you're ever interested in buying some of this property in oregon let me know and i thought that was really weird because i was like in my mind family or sorry family is obviously valuable but uh land is super valuable and i'm like how could you just look at this beautiful land by the way in like somewhere in oregon by ben and not want it it had hunting fishing uh, fresh spring water. I'm like, that is gold. I'm like, you guys are just giving up on a gold mine. People are losing touch with the real world. Uh, I'm sure there's hundreds of different reasons for some, for something like this. It's very nuanced, but people are becoming distracted about what's important. It's like the idea, my, my philosophy of why everything seems so chaotic right now in 2022 is that our foundational problem is a problem of abundance. We have too much. It, when in reality, the previous five, 10,000 years were problems of scarcity. Um, mm-hmm. And now that scarcity has been kind of conquered in a way, the, yeah. the problem of abundance of too much information, too much food, too much, uh, too many relationships, right? I, it, like fake mm-hmm. relationships. Oh, I have 700 Facebook friends. No, you don't. You, you don't. Yeah. It's a problem. And um, I think when somebody um, gets this land, they just look at it as a liability instead of an asset. And honestly, their loss is your gain. I I mean, it's fine. So yeah, it is an asset. It is an asset. And um, it's funny because you're right about people because what, you know, the world is so busy now. We're so stuck in our tech and in our jobs, and we're just honed in on this world. Where boom, 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 boom. And only when something like COVID happens, where everyone's like, holy shit, like all of a sudden toilet paper's off the racks, food, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're having a food shortage or whatever. Then that's when they start looking out at land and the prospect of like getting on their own grid and stuff like that. But then the panic subsides and then they go back to like, you know, but I never forget that. And no. you never forget that. Like, this no. is what we're dealing with right now. This, uh, abundance is a phenomenon it's very this is a rare time in history but we're still looking at like prospects um onto land but good point i get so excited talking about land because land to me is like my goal you know i have a family now i want to look at getting us i don't believe and i don't think you believe in this either becoming a mountain people misconstrue this all the time i don't believe in coming becoming a mountain man getting completely off grid and not seeing anyone for the next 30 years i don't want that what i want is to like have land that's close enough to other people but i don't want to be nut to butt like i'm seven feet away from my neighbor right now i don't want that i just want a little bit of space i want to be able to grow my own crops have some livestock and to have some space like that's not too much to ask for but um yeah is there any other before we move on to the next subject, which actually I think should be questions. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I'm totally down for that. Okay. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about with land, energy, anything? Um, as far as land goes, just look at it as a blank canvas. I mean, truly, like if I could just riff for one minute, imagine yeah. you own um, uh 10 acres, 20 acres, 30 acres, whatever it is. And just imagine the possibilities. I mean, I already mentioned beekeeper. I already mentioned grazing on land. I know people who, who have uh, 50 acres that they turned into a motocross 
uh, uh, with dirt bike jumps and then it's a little business, right? I know people um, who have three Airbnbs with just like simple canvas tents spread throughout their land um, and they just Airbnb these three canvas tents. There is so many ways to make money if you have the land. And it's not that every piece of land is a good investment. Don't be stupid. Obviously, there needs to be characteristics um, and the, the, right, um, the right things to make certain plans work. Um, but just look at it as a blank canvas. There are so many opportunities uh, for your land, even if you live on it, to be to help you with your finances. I don't even want to say cash flow. I don't want to just throw all that stuff out the window to just be a good investment for you right yeah just keep that open mind it, there's a lot of possibilities there yeah that's a really good way to view land as as a blank canvas a piece that you can work on because a lot of us we see land as just that's it you're not changing Man. you're on it you're not doing anything with it you're gonna sit on it for a while but no you could do a lot with you know land. how many hunters would pay to be your on your land hunting it and having a campsite, like a legit campsite, where nobody else is around them drinking and hooting and hollering yeah. bags, a lot of people, okay? A lot of people would pay for something like that. So there are so many ways, just, just let your mind run wild. And yeah. if you, if you, if you want to brainstorm, feel free to message me because I, I love this stuff. I mean, land is where my yeah. heart is too, just like what you're saying. And there's just yeah. a lot of opportunities. Another thing too, is that this is how this sounds really goofy and I never thought there'd be a market for this, but there is. And I know because I used to collect spring water. I used to go up into the mountains and I used to find a spring. I don't remember. It was like Lucky Pete spring, carry the gallons of spring water down. And people would ask me to send them spring water. They would buy my spring water. And I'm like, that is insane. So if you had fresh land with like the freshest water, it is hard to get fresh water guys. Like your tap water has birth control hormones in it that I always talk about. Yeah. It has, um, fluoride in it. It has all these minerals that are just like super stale. It's not really hydrating you, but spring water is super valuable. So there are properties in Idaho that sell spring water and you go to the, the co-op off the shelves, that, that spring water is off the shelves. You just bottle it, make sure that's tested correctly, market it. That's money right there too. Selling water. It's like, mm -hmm. geez. There's a market for everything, man. And it, it really, it, just another example of how land can be an investment as far as like wealth preservation. Um, since I'm looking at building a house and my, my wife is an architect and she's very big into energy efficiency, um, we were able to find an HVAC company that uses geothermal energy. So they dig down 10 feet, lay, lay the copper wires and your entire furnace and AC can run off of thermal energy. So it doesn't Whoa. even take from your, like, let's say you did have a solar setup. You don't even have to have a big solar setup if if your main because your your furnace and your AC take about thirty percent of your total energy, which is a huge load. Um, that's all taken off, right? Wow. Constantly for thirty years. So there's you can't do that in town. You cannot do that that wow. geothermal in town, but you could do it almost anywhere on land. So like I said, blank canvas. Just let your just start researching. Let your run your your mind run wild and you'll see some crazy yeah. possibilities. Cool. Yeah. I think that about does it for land. Like I said, I could make entire episodes on land because I see land as super valuable and just really exciting. There's something about my uncle owns land in Yakima 
And when I go on his land, I feel like particularly free because I'm like, my family owns this land. You know, it's like, it feels good to be a landowner, um, but also a homeowner too, which is why we talked about investing and stuff like that previously. But we have approximately how many minutes left? Um, it looks like like 12. Do you have your questions available on hand, by the way? Yeah, actually. Or, pretty yes. Can you please read whatever questions you feel like answering? and just talk about them for these last couple of minutes. I would pull it up, but it's not letting me on my computer. No, you're good, you're good. Um, best way, one person asked, best ways to vet a neighborhood. I like where this person's head's at because you do want to yeah. vet a neighborhood. And honestly, you can do all the, the normal stuff of looking at past sales and, and crime records and, and all that stuff is very easily, Google, you know, just Google it or whatever yeah. search engine you use. Uh, but the best way is to do uh, what nobody does, and you just go door knock the neighborhood. Oh, I know, I so scary going knocking on people's doors, but it's super simple. All you do is just go knock on a door and say, "Hey, you know, my name is Daniel. Um, I'm thinking about buying this house over here in this neighborhood. What, what do you think of the neighborhood? I mean, you guys like living here? Just have a conversation. You know, just talk yeah. to people. Um, and if there's anything I've learned, neighbors love talking shit. I mean, they love they, I mean, to to say what's good, what's bad. Um, that's the best way to vet a neighborhood. Very easy. That'll take you like an hour to go knock on a few doors and get some, get some uh, perspective. Yeah. Um, another question was, uh, does he think it's better to buy raw land and build it up or buy a house and make it a home? Um, yeah. I don't, I, I think that you're the only one that can answer that question because, it's got to be what you want to do. You know, there are people like we just talked about, there's people that have no desire to own land. A lot of my friends have no desire. You know, when they heard that we bought land, literally their first comment was, no, it was like, are you guys going to become a farmer? I'm like, no, oh, yeah. I'm not going to buy a, I'm not going to become a farmer. And, but that's all they know in their, in their perspective. So if you're asking what I think is better, I, I think it's better for you to know that self-knowledge. What do you want to do? And then mold a strategy for that. Um, this one, should I wait to for prices to drop lower? We didn't even talk about this, right? That's market, a good one. The market. Um, I think it's impossible to know the future, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend to give you like a false sense of confidence. All I can tell you is focus on the fundamentals, you know, focus on having um, enough income, right? Enough savings, knowing the right people, having the right strategy. If it's a flip, if you're going for cash flow, if you're doing single family homes or a whole apartment building, there is no right time to buy. If anybody's sitting here and telling you one of these two things, yeah. one, no. The market's going up. It's going to go up. Over the next two years, it's going to go up another 20%. Or the opposite, it's all crashing. It's all going to go down 30%. The reality is, is one of those two people are trying to sell you something, right? Yeah. That's mm -hmm. the reality. And we all want to either be told what to do because we're, we're, we ha we're in a fear-based mindset, or we want to have an idea and it be validated by somebody else. So if I were to sit here and say, oh yeah, the market's dropping 30%, everybody that already believed that would now have a false sense of confidence that that's what's going to happen because I just, I just validated that. So I can't sit here and tell you when the best time to buy is and if prices are going to go lower. That's why the fundamentals are so freaking important. Like it's mm -hmm. just the only way to operate 
because the future is is unknowable. It's just it, yeah. it's not knowable. There's no way. There's too many factors. There have been multiple times where I've been like, there's um, have you ever seen that meme where there's a bell curve and it goes up and then it goes down? And basically mm-hmm. the bell curves, it, the meme is, is that you, you gain so much knowledge and at the top where you would, you would think, you know, the most, you actually realize, you know, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's reality. That's, I can sit here and listen to 10 podcasts a day from 10 different style, you know, 10 different contrarian thinkers of, of what's going to happen with the economy. But the reality is, is none of them know. And all I'm doing is giving myself a like fake confidence to, to mm. know that I know the future and nobody knows the future. It's just not possible. And the faster yeah. you realize that, act, it, what's interesting, it's a paradox. The faster that you know that, the faster that you will make better decisions because they're based off reality of what's happening now and based off your skills, your self-knowledge, your, your network, and you can form a strategy for today, not, not yeah. what's going to happen in six months or five years. It doesn't make any sense. So that would be my, it, you know, it's not the best answer as far as, uh, no, it's good. I like the bell curve. Cause I think about that meme all the time because it's so accurate. I've lived that bell curve so many times now that I, I think I finally get it now. I think I finally yeah. get it. Like, okay, yeah, I don't know anything. That's okay. It doesn't mean don't yeah. continue to seek out knowledge. It just means you don't know. And that's okay. Um, and then um, the only other question that I liked was uh, best area in the USA to start real estate investing. That just goes to what I said previously of um of, of knowing everything I talked about, your self-knowledge, your skills, finding the right market and finding the right time. Realistically, any state is going to have, is going to be a good market. It just depends what yeah. it is, right? That, that's the only thing. So that was it for questions. Okay. Um, yeah, those are pretty good. I like the one that about the, uh, which state to invest in because i mean every state probably has good investments depending on its cities and its locations and stuff like that so um yeah that's pretty good i'm trying to think of there's so much we cover there's so much value um i have actually have one more question for you um in your analysis in your gut instinct at least in our area does it look like there's a downward trend of property value like are the prices finally dropping to the point where like oh the yeah we're finally seeing that downward curve or is it still too like all over the place? No, there is definitely a downward curve happening. You'd have to okay. be blind or one of those Instagram influencers that's convincing yes. people like, no, there's nothing happening. There's 100% happening. So yeah, it um, has to, it has to drop. It has to, you just, you just made money more expensive to borrow. And if the whole market is propped up on borrowing money, and that's what people don't get is if you borrow money and the interest rate is 3%, and all of a sudden, it's five and a half percent, just like that. You just made the mortgage forty percent more expensive mm. overnight, and that's how powerful <laughs> these interest rates are. And to not yeah. acknowledge that and to think that that's not going to have effect is pure ignorance. There is absolutely a downward trend happening. Keyword in your area, it's dependent. Yeah, right? there are. I've seen people bring up um, stats from the east, like in. Boston, Manhattan, like just that general area where actually prices are still going up. 
that it's actually not being at all down. But I can tell you 100% in the Boise metro area, prices are now trending downward because every day I get emails about price reductions, about- um, Oh, really? Oh, yeah, all the time. I mean, it, I at least get five to 10 a day now. I'm seeing price drops of 30, 40, 50,000. Yep. Where, where I see it going, I have no clue. I, I don't. If I had to like make an educated guess, I would assume that it'll continue to happen as long as interest rates keep going up. Um, mm. if, if it, and if you don't know anything about the Federal Reserve, it's probably one of the best things you could try to learn about is the Federal Reserve. Yeah. It's a very complicated topic, but if they have the power to just make money more expensive, that's all they're doing. They're making money more expensive. That's going to have an effect in the real world. It just has to. Yeah. So yeah. I could see it trending downward for a few months. It's hard to know because real estate is a hard good. It's not, um, it's not a stock. It's not a crypto. It's, it's a hard asset. It's an asset you can yeah. feel. And it's something that people will always value. So even if, even if it goes down, the actual opposite is happening when it comes to rentals and uh, or rental, uh, um, sorry, rent. Rent is actually still trending upward and that actually might continue to happen. So interesting stuff. Okay. Well, that's good for people who are looking at making money off of renting then is that yeah. it could continue to go up. Um, last question. We have two minutes left. We'll make this quick before I let everyone know where to find you. Um, those books behind you, what is the most, what is the book that has provided you the absolute most value when it comes to this topic of discussion? Let me, uh, if you could pick one, grab it. the sovereign individual. Have you heard of this book? No, this book changed. Literally all these other books are trash compared to this book. I'm not even, I, I, I'm kidding. I'm being hyperbolic. But um, this book, um, it's called The Sovereign Individual, Mastering the Transition to the Information Age. This book was written in 1997, and it predicted everything that's happening right now. It predicted all the chaos. It predicted how the internet was going to fundamentally change um, our society. It predicted Bitcoin. It, it called it cashless, um, cashless, Ooh, that's a yeah. cashless digital transactions. Um, and it's a dense read. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, this is an easy read. You'll get through it. It's dense. Um, but it is basically okay. the thesis is, is that the microprocessor and the internet will completely eliminate the need for government in almost every capacity. And that it's not going to happen immediately. It'll probably take 30, 40, 50, 60 years. But there is a potential for the internet and the microprocessor to completely eliminate the state naturally. Like it's just, it'll just be a natural byproduct of that. So that's my favorite book. I think it's given, it's given me a lot of hope. Truly. It's given me a lot of hope in the future. Um, it's yeah. kind of, I want to start a podcast about sovereignty. So nice. Cool. All right. Yeah. Um, we have a little bit of time left here. Daniel, thanks for coming on this podcast with me, man. Um, where can my audience find you? Where's the best place for them to reach out to you? Honestly, probably just Instagram or Twitter. Boise champion is, is what I'm at, but, um, you know, connect with me, shoot me a DM. I'm always down to talk and, uh, you know, shoot the shit with anybody. All right, cool. 
Thanks again, Daniel. We literally, <laughs> Zoom is so annoying, 10 seconds left. But uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and publish this for you guys. And if you guys want to reach out to Daniel, go ahead and do that. But nonetheless, Daniel, thank you. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate it.